get that next right there um, <clears throat> so again I'm uh, just trying to make sure I'm using everything uh, correctly here so if uh, you guys can hear me or if my sound is good if you could please just give me a thumbs up hey Liz how you doing Jeff good to see you so I'm trying to I got multiple chat windows open so we can try to have some interaction uh, but I want to make sure that uh, everyone can hear me, and uh, we're going to start this live taping of my podcast, The Healing Tree, and uh, got some hard stuff and some good stuff to talk about tonight. Can I get some thumbs up? You can hear me. Everything is good. Somebody, pretty please, give me a response, please. Okay. I'm going to assume everybody can hear me because I'm not seeing any responses that they can't hear me. And so if any point in time uh, it comes up that you guys can't hear me, then uh, then I'll try to resolve the issue. But uh, it's good to see you all tonight. How's everybody doing? Oh, I see a chat there. I can hear you. Thank you, Pam Dennis. Thank you. <laughs> because I don't ever know with this thing. I'm still trying to learn all this new technology. And and that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. Not necessarily technology, but uh, so I'm in a number of recovery groups. And and before I start this dialogue, I want I want to let people know that if you have something you want to talk about, or you're hurting about something, or you need to get something out, or you have a question, uh, feel free to ask it in the chat, and uh, I'll try to get to it. I'm, I'm monitoring both. Good to see you, Peggy, and. Uh, I'll do my best to monitor that, but I, I think this is an important topic, important subject that uh, before I came on tonight, I was kind of reviewing, uh, you know, what the professionals have been saying about how this pandemic has affected people in the recovery communities. And, um, you know, fortunately for people in recovery, there are a lot of tools and uh when I'm talking about recovery, I'm not only talking about addictions, uh, I'm talking about any life-controlling habits uh, or any crisis that you're going through. We all need help to get through these things together. Kind of ties in what we were doing before, trying to help families. We're still trying to help families. But I think this area of, of addiction and recovery is exploding to such pandemic levels. And I'm going to go over a little research with you guys and show you uh, just how um, many people this is impacting and how it's just rising. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, COVID-19 is definitely not doing anybody in recovery any favors. And, uh, you know, one of the articles I was reading earlier was just talking about how, you know, how crisis uh, leads to relapse. And when people in, in their recovery units have, uh, you know, these set formulations of what they're doing to maintain uh, sobriety, what they're doing to be healthy in their life, whether that's, you know, on the, the physical side of things, they're eating a certain way, they're being healthy, they're working out, they have a community, they're out there meeting with that community, uh, being interactive in people's lives. And 
And all of a sudden, overnight, that's gone. You know, it's like uh, for the first month of this lockdown, nobody even knew really how to adapt to this lockdown because nobody knew how long it was going to go on for. And obviously, we're in such a tumultuous uh, period of time uh, with these up-and-coming elections that there's just going to be a lot of things out there that can tri trigger people. And uh, not only and, – and some people don't care. I think really getting – back into the recovery community because my recovery is is unique to me and it works for me and it really centers around my spiritual walk in faith which is what the 12 steps is supposed to do uh, if you do a 12-step based recovery and and that was a challenge for me because we haven't really actually been able to fellowship in church uh, in a manner that I feel is really um, helping people serving each other. It's been a real challenge for people across the board. And then it turns into a fight uh, and it creates all these other issues and problems in people's lives. And so one of the things I've been doing, uh, back to what I was saying, is we have all these unique recovery tools that we didn't have when I was growing up, when I was really struggling in the core of my addiction when I was younger, uh, because in order to meet people in recovery, you had to leave your house. You had to give people your phone number. Yes, I'm that old. We didn't even have cell phones. And uh, you had to know how to find meetings. You couldn't just get online and, you know, punch in meetings and find out where they're all going on in your area. And now we have all of these wonderful tools where we can even meet with each other through Zoom. I know there's a lot of 12-step and NAAA meetings of that nature. Um even therapy going on through Zoom, which I believe lacks a human element that we require, uh, but it's it's better than being isolated. And uh, one of those tools I use for my own recovery, how you doing, Pam, Ron, good to see you guys. Uh, Hermosa, good to see you. Um, please share this video because I have an important topic that I'm going to talk about tonight. So I told you guys before in, in starting this out that I wanted to do a series on the 12 steps. And uh, one of the tools I utilize in my own uh, recovery path is there's a ton of groups out there uh, for about any kind of addiction that you struggle from or generalized addiction recovery. Um, one of the groups I'm in has 97,000 people where you can actually get out there, share what's going on with your life, connect with people, and get help. And a reoccurring theme that I've been seeing in these groups are a ton of new people uh, coming in, I believe partially because of uh, the lockdown and everything that's going on, struggling, saying, look, help, I'm addicted. I am drinking more than I ever have before. Uh, I am tired of this way of life. What do I do now? And it was really shocking to me because, you know, growing up in an era where probably the strongest addiction recovery programs <clears throat> that, that were available were AA, NA, uh, Al-Anon for spouses and people um, that had addicted spouses or loved ones. And, and those were kind of the core groups. So even courts, which it's beginning to change because people are saying it's, it's a spiritual group and, and the courts can't dictate this, but they don't have a lot of options. So even courts uh, are mandating that people go to some kind of a 12-step group or some recovery program 
uh, and there's still a core of of 12-step groups being uh, a strong part of recovery. And so in my mind, as I'm seeing these people saying, I need help, I need help, I don't know what to do, I'm thinking, man, the epidemic of drug abuse and alcoholism in our society today is growing so quickly that I truly believe it's outpacing the recovery community to the point, and, and the ages are getting younger and younger, and they're starting out with drugs like heroin uh, from the gate. You know, I, I read a report not too long ago that uh, number one cause of death in in teenagers in the state of Ohio is heroin addiction. And so these people are running and gunning straight out of the gate. They get addicted and and they don't know what to do. And, you know, I, I started doing a little research myself. So I went online, got on Google and, and thought recovery, addiction recovery. And just like everything else, the web is just inundated with all these uh, amazing recovery uh, plans and and treatments and all these new ideas and and it really isn't a core like it used to be and so I understand why people really don't know what to do and so I'm gonna go over a couple of those questions I have three of them and I want to talk about what what the people are asking. I took these out of some of my groups, try to remove identifying information. Uh, these are public groups. Um, try to contact people to get you know permission to use this stuff. And we get emails and messages uh, about people asking questions. And I want to go over these three questions because I want to answer this question for people. But I also want you to bear with me in this podcast because like I said in the beginning, what, what worked for me um, may not work for you. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen. And that doesn't mean that this can't potentially be a first step in the direction that you're trying to take to, to get recovery. And so I'm going to give some generalized uh questions you can ask yourself, some tips uh, to what you can do to begin to, to stop this madness, this insanity that's in your life, uh, you know, before it results in your death or your insanity or your incarceration. You know, I was thinking earlier today while I was going through all this research, I thought, man, you know, that, that initial period, you know, I remember what it was like running and gunning out in the streets and when you're trying to cop drugs off the streets and, and that whole process becomes sometimes an addictive process in and of itself. But I thought, you know, what happened during that short period of time when people weren't able just to go out and, and go to their normal dealers, the ports are getting shut down. You know, there's been a tremendous uptick in overdose deaths. And I think this period of time has, has, given people the ability to really take a look at their lives, you know, and, and when you're locked down with, with uh, an addiction um, and you've already burned all your bridges and you can't get a hold of anybody and you can't go anywhere, uh, that must be a horrible, horrible place to be. I know that's a horrible place to be because I've been there and not in those circumstances. And so uh, you know, this is our, our live taping of this subject. I'm going to cut it up, put it in a podcast and start 
putting it out in those addiction recovery groups because I want to I want to answer those questions out there. And and basically my answer, uh, like I said, is going to be generalized, but I I'm going to work on my own recovery path and the recovery path that has worked for millions of people, and it's called the 12 step program because in in my opinion. It's the fastest way for you to find support, for you to find uh, people that you can connect with, for you to find someone that has victory over their addiction uh, that can begin to lead you towards other resources and steps to help you achieve your goal of taking that, that first step in recovery. But man, there's a lot of opinions out there today. And so all I'm asking is that, that you hear me out. And, and take what you can from it. And, you know, I, I saw someone the other day, they're like, oh, I don't want that God stuff. I don't, I don't do 12 step. It's not working. It doesn't work for me, but I'm completely struggling. My life is completely tore down. And, you know, I said to him, I said, but maybe it's time to try something different. And so we're going to talk about that first step. I mean, it's weird. It's like, it's like gang drug treatment wars out there. You know, you got these people that believe in absolute sobriety and you can't take any substance. You can't even put, you know, like, like sanitizer. I've been in meetings where people say they can't even put hand sanitizer on their hands uh, because it is ethyl alcohol. It triggers them. It causes them in, in their understanding to crave alcohol. And, and I can't imagine people like that in this day and age where that stuff is everywhere and everyone's demanding they put that stuff on their hands. We have a, a serious lack of compassion in our society right now. A lot of, a lot of panic, uh, but, a, but a, a deep lack of understanding of how uh, as becoming bullies as a society and not uh, actually uh, believing and understanding that there's legitimate reasons for people not to put masks on, not to want to put hand sanitizer on, um, people who need groups and physical interaction, um, it's definitely hurting some people out there. And so everyone's out there trying to do everyone else's recovery, you know, and you got the people saying, oh, those people doing medically assisted treatment, doing methadone and suboxone, they're not really in recovery. And we're not going to get into any of that. I mean, we're going to get into methadone and suboxone and some medically assisted treatments so you can understand where to get that help because I don't know what's going to work for you. But I know that if you're listening to this because the title made sense to you and and you need help and you're in that place where you don't want to die and you don't want to suffer from the madness of this addiction any longer, uh, then I ask that you just hear me out in these steps and I'm going to tell you what, what works for me because uh, I've been off opiates since 2012. And, you know, my, my recovery is different from a lot of people's uh, in the sense that I'm a poly, what they call a poly substance abuser. And so, uh, you know, when I became addicted to opiates in my late 30s, uh, I always said I, I found the cure for all my other addictions. It was heroin. It was opiates. Because after I went down that road, I didn't really crave anything else. But then people who get in recovery from opiates have a tendency to discover that these old cravings, these old desires for other drugs begin to come out and you have to uh, really format your, your treatment. You really have to format uh, your recovery in a fashion that can address all those things. Um, 
But you know, I, I've been off opiates since 2012, and, and during that time, I was doing over a gram a day uh, for three years. And, uh, you know, I've been to rehab probably seven or eight times, uh, short-term detox, I don't know how many times, just trying to uh, kick the opiates or get myself to a point of stability. Uh, I don't, I can't even count the number of times I've, I've had to restart my recovery over and over. And so I get where you're at. I understand uh, the madness of this cycle. That was another thing I keep seeing this pattern in these groups are people saying, you know what, I had eight months of sobriety. I had five years of sobriety. And they're beating themselves up uh, because they relapsed during this time. And, and my encouragement to you is get up. Get up. You did it the first time. You know how to do it. And that's one of the problems I see. You know, we need to have goals and we need to have achievements. And we like to, to be able to be... Uh, you know, understood or, or rewarded, um, congratulated for our achievements. Uh, but sometimes you get in that cycle of day counting and your days of sobriety and something like this happens and it can drive you into a cycle of relapse uh, that goes for a long time or may result in your death. And I just see that the game's changed considerably uh, with this huge rise of opiate addiction in our society. Uh, because relapse, you know, in AA, they constantly talk about the bottom and how the bottom can be death. But truly relapse in the bottom for opiate addicts um, is death. You know, they're, they're getting into really bad and dark places and not reaching that myth of the bottom uh, that people are saying they need to reach in order to actually achieve some form of recovery. Um but I'm telling you, you can do it. So three years of that, you know, and I remember my, my opiate addiction uh, began with a medical condition. And it was probably back in mid 2000. And my doctors were just giving me massive amounts. And, and I know this is a lot of people's story, massive amounts of opiate painkillers. And I was on morphine, I was on Percocet for the breakthrough pain. Um, and obviously, having an addictive personality and already in recovery and struggling with addiction and, and having these doctors push these amount of drugs, we justified in our mind that, oh, no, I'm sick. I need to take this. But obviously, it spiraled out of control. And I began to get into the doctor shopping and going to multiple doctors, but I couldn't keep the prescriptions up with my addiction. And so, you know, I remember the first time somebody offered me heroin, I, I kicked them out of my car. And I literally told them, if you ever do that again, if you ever offer me that again, I'm going to punch you in your face. Because I knew it was bad. I knew it was a bad thing. And I knew that it was going to bring destruction in my life. But the sad thing about the cycles of addictions is, is you go through these temptations, you go through these triggers, and you may be strong the first time if you're not working a program. And you may be strong a second time or a third time. But eventually, if you're going through the cycle of relapse and using, relapse and using, uh, <clears throat> okay, Shay, no worries. Um, relapse and, and uh, it, it gives the enemy, it gives your addiction uh, the opportunity to break through in areas that you never thought you'd go to. How many people say that? They found themselves in places uh, they never thought 
they would be taken. Never thought I would do that. Never thought I'd rip my family off like that. Never thought I'd prostitute myself for drugs. Never thought I'd uh, destroy my job or be homeless or you know live on the street. But that's where it takes us. It takes us places we never thought we'd be to do the things that we said we'd never do. And uh, <clears throat> so the first time I finally broke, you know, I started playing with the heroin in, in between my pills and, and I thought, Hey, this isn't that bad. This isn't as bad as what I thought it was. You know, I've got into the deception that this isn't no different than me taking these pills. It's just, I don't have to deal with the doctors now. I don't have to deal with the doctors. And, and back in that time, we didn't have this massive influx of fentanyl. And so every time I use, there was still potential of overdose and death. Um, but it was a little safer. If, if there's such a thing in a street drug uh, than it is now. Now, nobody knows ever what they're getting. And, and with the massive amount of fentanyl, every time you get some kind of opiate, even a pill nowadays, they're, they're you know forging pills to look like actual pills, pressing pills, and they're full of fentanyl and they're killing people. But the first time I tried to get off, I, I was done with my pills prescription. I went to my doctor. I, I had never experienced heroin withdrawal. I had never understood the, the depths of pain and suffering that that stuff could cause a human body. I'd have withdrawn from pain pills multiple times. I didn't think it'd be anything uh, that different. And I literally ended up comatose in an ER room for three days. I went through the most horrible amount of suffering that I don't think anybody can understand if you have an experience. I was in so much pain that the hospital strapped me down to try to control me because I was freaking out. And I don't remember any of this because I started chugging um, Xanax trying to knock myself out because I was in so much pain. I was drinking NyQuil. I was doing all these crazy things uh, and it caused me to black out. But they literally told me when I woke up, they tried to stick a catheter in me. I had like uh, six 250-pound nurses or something like that uh, trying to hold me down. And they strapped me down with straps, you know, for like crazy out-of-control people. And I literally, uh, my 185-pound self, broke the straps. And so they just started hitting me with uh, tranquilizers and uh, it wasn't taking me out. I wasn't even cognizant. I didn't even know what was happening. Uh, last thing I remember was being loaded up in an ambulance and then waking up three days later in intensive care. And, uh, you know, the first thing I was thinking about was getting high. And, and that's the insanity of addiction. And that was my first experience at trying to come off this stuff. And I wasn't sure how to do it either. I'd been in recovery. I'd been in rehab. I knew some of the steps, but I was in a different level game uh, that where, where once you reach that level of physical addiction, it's, it's a lot harder. In, in each stage, and I'm not saying it's not hard. It doesn't matter if you're addicted to cocaine, methamphetamine, alcohol. I mean, look at what just happened with Jordan Peterson and benzodiazepines almost killed him. Some of these things will kill you. And so my point in sharing that story is just say, I know where you're coming from. And I, I'm not going to be able to give you this, this kill-all answer in this show today, but I am going to give you some steps 
Uh, and I want you to know that I understand how you're feeling right now. I know the despair. I know the shame, the hopelessness. I know the broken commitments. I know the broken relationships that may never be repaired. I know the shame that people try to throw at you once you achieve a level of recovery and you're out there trying to do good things with your life and they want to tear you down. They want to get vengeance on you for who you used to be. And, and they're not ever going to see um, good things about you unless there's a, a dramatic change in them. That's the, um, you know, accepting the things you cannot change. We can't change people. We can't change circumstances, but we can begin this journey to change ourselves. So whatever it is you're struggling with and whatever you ask that question, I just want to let you know, I get it. And these are some of the things that I have to do that work for me um, that can get you to a place where you can define your recovery in a place where you have extended victory in, in those things that have you in severe bondage in your life right now. Because I tell you what, I'm not there anymore. You know, uh, I, I don't wake up anymore with that awful feeling, you know, people wake up with that awful feeling about what you've done the night before and, and just realizing what an idiot you've been or the people you've hurt or waking up with the, uh, you know, beginning of a draw and that awfulness knowing you're going to have to go out and seek and do something and you can't even get stability in your life. You know, I don't have to explain to my wife anymore that, you know, I went out and spent, you know, our money on drugs or alcohol. I don't have to make excuses anymore about who I owe money to or, or run from people I ripped off or, uh, you know, be worried about dodging a bullet because of that drug dealer that I owe money to or, or ripped off. I mean, I get it. I don't live in that black hole of wanting to die every day and trying to numb that cycle through drugs and alcohol that will never numb that cycle for you. There is nothing that you think you're going to achieve out of drugs and alcohol abuse and substance and chemical dependency um, that's going to bring peace to your life. And so I understand and want to give you a few tips here. But some of you are not going to agree with some of the things that I'm saying. I know that because I am coming from a 12 pet step perspective that we need to give our lives and wills over to a higher power, that we need to have something greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity. And that really cannot rest in institutions, places, or people. It has to be something higher than ourselves, our own intellect, our own will. And, and I ask you to just stick with me for this first step because this is the most important step and if you're asking these questions that these other people asked, uh, you're, in the, you're in the right place. I'm going to show you something here real quick. So I was looking up these stats. Everybody's so quiet nowadays on my shows. <laughs> it's so much different when I was ranting on TCF, but this is important. And, and this is a part of my own recovery is, is serving other people. Let's see here. I was looking at these stats that we're studying. And then we're going to talk about step one. Let's see here. Uh, screen capture. 
Bring it. Oh, hey, there's all my chatting people. Let's get out of there. So I was looking at these overdose death rates uh, between 1999 and 2018. So we haven't even hit uh, the 2020 numbers yet, obviously. But uh, next year when those stats start coming out, I'm telling you they're probably going to be stunning. But look at this graph. I mean, from 1992, uh, we're looking at under 20,000 overdose deaths uh, between all genders and all age ranges, and there's just a steady increase. We dipped down a little bit, and right now we're at 70,000 people. 70,000 people a year uh, are dying from drug overdoses. I want you to look at this graph. So the two highest are prescription opiates. Yes, your prescription opiates can kill you. And the sad thing is, is that the doctors who created this problem and were handing out Oxycontin and other painkillers like they were candy, uh, now are too afraid to even give it to people with legitimate pain and it's pushing people in drug-seeking behavior outside of, of their doctors. They're going out to the street. There are people, younger and younger people, that um, of, of any demographic that are out there uh, getting heroin off the street. And in some places, it's so available um, that it's just killing people left and right. But if you look at this right here, I mean, the synthetic narcotics, and, and other than methadone, they say, uh, deaths have skyrocketed. Uh, since 2014, which I think is an interesting stat, but I'm not going to get into that tonight. And so, you know, I made some people mad the other day, and I was like, you know, this is the real pandemic, and, and I seen all that that angry behavior from people out there that, oh, these people are doing it to themselves, and the number one thing that I find is hard for those struggling in this area is just an amazing lack of resources and compassion for adult addicts. There's a lot out there for kids, a lot of people trying to help out kids. Um, but once you reach a certain age uh, and you get out there and you're struggling, they put money to a lot of things. Uh, but like even when I was in Kansas, in the state of Kansas, you're lucky if you can even get into a, a long-term rehabilitation. You're lucky if you can even get into a detox. There's a waiting list. These people are out there on the street wanting to get help. And hopefully some of these things we talk about are, are going to show you some things you can do if you can't get into a recovery. If you can't get into a detox and you think you need it, uh, there's some other steps you can take. But uh, on everything, among genders, uh, the only thing that has gone down is overdose deaths involving prescription opiates, and that's because uh, they stopped prescribing them as much. And uh, we're going to look at something right here. And so our country's in a crisis. And there's a lot of people asking for help out there that don't have help. And so I want to look at this. Let me see if we have any questions. And so if you're out there asking this question and you're saying, how do I stop? How do I quit? What do I do? What are the steps? In, in a 12-step you know, treatment paradigm, that is the first step. The first step is coming to a complete 
place of honesty and recognizing that what you're doing does not work anymore. You know, the, the common definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And you reach this place where step one, as it says on here, let's see if I can get this over. Let me get this down for you. Oh, I can't here. It said, we admitted we are powerless over alcohol. I'm using AAs, but this can be utilized for, for any substance. We're going to talk about that. There's many groups, uh, depending on where your drug of choice is or where you feel like you're struggling the most, uh, to where you can find resources and you can find help and you can find people that can walk with you. I, I just want you to understand that it is not hopeless. It is not hopeless wherever you are right now, no matter how deep the hole you think you've dug or how broken your life is or how addicted you are, you are not hopeless. Because where I'm at today used to be a, a dream in my mind, a desire in my heart that I did not know necessarily how to complete and accomplish. And I wouldn't trade this for anything. You hear, hear people that have been in recovery for a long time that say this consistently, and it's because we won't. <laughs> we, we understand living in that insanity and what it does to the human spirit and waking up with joy in my heart every morning and waking up with a future and watching my life go in directions that I never dreamed were possible and finishing my education and watching my family uh, grow and heal and be together. All of those things are possible, but they start with step one. They start with you recognizing and admitting you are powerless over your life-controlling habit, your addiction, and that your life had become unmanageable. So I want to read this. Who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one. And this is from the AA Big Book. Here's one resource that you can go out there and find. Start getting some literature. Start picking up some, some books or some online uh, resources, uh, devotionals, things that you can daily start feeding your mind with the seeds of recovery. Start now. I got this off AA.org, so if it's narcotics, you can go to Narcotics Anonymous. We'll get into some of that, but here's a short thing about step one. Who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. The world hates that concept, guys. It is truly awful to admit that glass in hand or syringe in hand or line up nose. We have warped our mind into such an obsession for destructive drinking or drug using that only an act of providence can remove it from us. They call it bankruptcy, where we reach a, a point of personal bankruptcy, where we recognize we cannot go any further. No kind of bankruptcy is like this one. Alcohol now becomes the rapacious creditor, bleeds us of all our self-sufficiency and all will to resist its demands. Once this stark fact is accepted, our bankruptcy as going human concerns is complete. But upon entering AA, we soon take quite another view of this absolute humiliation. We perceive that only through utter defeat we are able to take our first steps towards liberation and strength. Our admission of personal powerlessness finally turn out to be a firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. We know that a little good can come to any alcoholic who joins AA unless 
he has first accepted is devastating. We know that little good can come to any alcoholic who joins AA unless he has first accepted his devastating weakness and all its consequences. Till he so humbles himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious. Of real happiness, he will find none at all. Proved beyond doubt by an immense experience, this is one of the facts of AA life. The principle that we shall find no enduring strength until we first admit complete defeat is the main taproot from which our whole society has sprung and flowered. When first challenged to admit defeat, most of us revolted. We had approached AA expecting to be taught self-confidence. Then we had been told that so far as alcohol is concerned, self-confidence was no good whatsoever, or any drug for that matter. In fact, it was a total liability. Our sponsors declared that we were victims of a mental obsession so subtly powerful that no amount of human willpower could break it. There was, they said, no such thing as personal conquest of this compulsion by the unaided will. Relentlessly deepening our dilemma, our sponsors pointed out our increasing sensitivity to alcohol, an allergy they called it. The tyrant alcohol wielded a double-edged sword over us. First, we were smitten by an insane urge that condemned us to go on drinking and then by allergy of the body that ensured we would ultimately destroy ourselves in the process. Few indeed were those who so assailed have ever won through in single-handed combat. It was a statistical fact that alcoholics almost never recovered on their own resources. And this has been true, apparently, ever since man has first crushed grapes. In A's pioneering time, none but the most desperate case could swallow and digest this unpalatable truth. Even these last gaspers often had difficulty in realizing how hopeless they actually were. But a few did, and when these lay hold of AA principles, with all the fervor with which the drowning seize life preservers, they almost invariably got well. That right there is a key point. Do you feel like you're a drowning man or woman trying to grasp a life preserver? You have to be at that level, not just where you're tired of the suffering, because what happens when you're when you're tired of the suffering and you march forward on this first step. And then the suffering's alleviated, and you begin to get a little bit of victories because I promise you, if you utilize these steps, if you move forward towards God in spiritual progress, not perfection, your life will begin to change. Good things will begin to happen to you for the first time in a long time. But if we're not at that point, of utter helplessness where we understand we cannot do it any longer. We cannot take another step in our own strength because everything that we have tried has failed to where we can truly recognize a recognition. The first step is an utter recognition that I have no power over this thing. I am enslaved. It is controlling me. And if I continue to allow it to do so that I'm going to perish. It's already taking everything I have, destroying my life, draining my bank account. It's like a terrible enemy that's just running amok in every aspect of your life, destroying it. But when you have that fervor, that understanding that you are at the end, and that's what people begin to say about hitting your bottom, but like I said, 
the idea that there even is a bottom, I, I don't believe is a good concept, but I do believe there needs to be a desperation. There does need to be a getting sober for sobriety's sake, for self's sake, not for children, not for jobs, not for some other exterior motive, but for the fact that you are tired of living in the filth and the shame and the slavery that that addiction wraps around us and that you're willing to lay down that self-will and that understanding that you have it under control and begin to commit your life and will into something else, a higher power greater than yourself, and then work with people that have been successful upon this path. And that's one of the hard things I've found with church. I mean, honestly, I remember one time, here, let's finish this real quick. This is why the first edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, published when our membership was small, dealt with low-bottom cases only. Many less desperate alcoholics tried AA but did not succeed because they could not make the admission of hopelessness. It is a tremendous satisfaction to record that in the following years has changed. Alcoholics who still had their health, their families, their jobs, and even two cars in the garage began to recognize their alcoholism. As this trend grew, they were joined by young people who were scarcely more than potential alcoholics. They were spared that last or 10 or 15 years of literal hell the rest of us have gone through. Since step one requires an admission that our lives had become unmanageable, how could people such as these take this step? Maybe some of you aren't to the depth that I plunge to or some of these people. So it was obviously necessary to raise the bottom the rest of us had hit to the point where it would hit them. By going back in our own drinking histories, we could show that years before we realized it, we were out of control. That our drinking or drug using uh, even then was no mere habit, that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. And I do believe that alcoholism and drug addiction is a fatal progression. It will get worse and worse and worse. So wherever you're at right now that made you say, I need help, I want help, I don't know what I'm doing, um, it's not going to get better for you unless you're willing to take the steps it takes to get recovery, whatever that looks like for you. To the doubters, we could say, perhaps you're not an alcoholic after all. Why don't you try some more controlled drinking, bearing in mind, meanwhile, what we have told you about alcoholism. Like there may be some of you that say, uh, I'm not to that point yet. So this message may not be for you. But when you get to that point, when you've tried everything and you still find yourself in the same place, I encourage you to begin to take these steps. It was then discovered that when one alcoholic had planted in the mind of another the true nature of his malady, that person could never be the same again. Following every spree, he would say to himself, maybe those AAs were right. After such a few experiences and often years before the onset of extreme difficulties, he would return convinced he had hit bottom truly as the rest of himself. John Barleycorn himself had become our best advocate. While this insistence that every AA must hit bottom first, the answer is that few people will sincerely try to practice the AA program unless they have hit bottom. And again, if you're just joining this, we're not just talking about AA. These 12 steps have morphed into every kind of addiction, including sexual addiction, and that the principles hold true. And they're about some of the quickest help that you can get right now. 
For practicing AAs, remaining 11 steps mean the adoption of attitudes and actions that almost no alcoholic who is still drinking can dream of taking. Who wishes to be rigorous and honest and tolerant? Who wants to confess his faults to another and make restitution for harm done? Who cares anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer? Who wants to sacrifice time and energy in trying to carry AA's message to the next sufferer? No, the average alcoholic self-centered in this extreme doesn't care for this prospect unless he has to do these things in order to stay alive himself. Under the lash of alcoholism or drug addiction, we are driven to AA and there we discover the fatal nature of our situation. Then and only then do we become as open-minded to conviction and as willing to listen as the dying can be. We stand ready to do anything which will lift the merciless obsession from us. I think my sound just changed because I realized one of my microphones has been muted this whole time. So if it got better, uh, yay. I don't know what microphone it was utilizing. Maybe it was this headphone previous. I encourage you to go on AA.org and and look at some of those steps, but uh, I don't have a lot of time. I got to learn to time these betters. So here, I'm going to read through a couple of these questions for you. And I just want you to see the despair in some of these. It's, it's crazy. So question one. Question one. My dad died in March, and I've been drowning myself with alcohol since. I've been an alcoholic for, for and an addict for much longer. I haven't been sober in 20 years. I don't even know where to start. Most of the time, I don't even want it. The love of my life and my best friend left me with our kids because I am out of control. I've alienated myself from family and everyone else. I'm sick and crying all the time. I can't even hold it back while at work. I'm drinking now and I hate myself all the time. I've ruined everything for myself. I'm lost. You all relate to that? There's the second one. Man, how can I stay off drugs when those... Times hell just comes crashing down on me like a curse. It always happens when opportunities that come my way end up disappearing because of drugs got in the way or being homeless and nowhere to sleep. So you feel that you have to stay alert. Like sometimes I feel that drugs end up becoming an issue when I lose everything and I have nowhere to go. Always make an effort even if I or you got to start over again. Thank you God for showing me what life's about. Appreciate the hard times. I'd rather that... I'd rather that ruin my life for almost every few days, weeks, months, years. Hope this works out soon. Got to take action and get things done this time. Blessings aren't always waiting. Appreciate what you have now and make an effort for the best of your wishes. Shout out to the Sober Society. This was the third one I got. Hi, my name is Matthew and I'm a heroin addict. I've been on methadone for three months and I've cut way down, but I still have a craving. I will die if I don't get off this crap. I've never been so weak to my impulse. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time. I realize part of my addiction is the poke. I I sound sick, but I need help. My wife and I are both in this together. We have fought a lot less on methadone than using daily. What can I do to curb the desire? Please only serious answers. I don't want to be subject to others' insults. Let's go along with it. Okay. 
And those are only a handful of uh, some of the ones I got this week. And so I want to go through and answer a couple of those questions quickly. And here's the first thing. The reason I read this about the first step is because I want people to know that when you're asking what is it that I need to do, that is your first step. Like that gentleman said, he doesn't even know if he wants it. That's something you have to determine. You cannot help a person. We cannot help a person. We cannot help ourselves if we don't care about our lives. We will continue to suffer in that pattern until we perish. And, and that's going to be the end result. I think I heard someone once say dope means death or prison eventually. And so there's a number of steps that you can take for the guy that's struggling with alcoholism in this time of COVID-19. One, if you're at this point of step one where you recognize and you've admitted you're powerless over your addiction, you need to get support. Okay. And I'm going to show you how to do that real quick. In any city, all right, here, I'm just going to type one real quick. Let's go back over to the screen capture. Let's look at this. I'm, I'm just going to put a city in here real quick. I don't want to cooperate with well, Let's go to Google. So I don't care if it's AA, NA, opiates, uh, methamphetamine anonymous, sexual addiction anonymous. Just Google it. So we'll say uh, Denver, Colorado. AA, Denver, Colorado. Every area right here, Denver Area Central Committee of Alcoholics Anonymous. Or if it's NA, they'll have a, com a committee. Click on meetings. And I'm telling you, this is your first step. I mean, first, you, they say to come to these meetings, the only thing you need is a desire to stop drinking or using. Uh, you don't even necessarily have to be stopped drinking or stopped using. You have to come to that place where you've accepted that you're ready to quit, and then you move forward and begin to take inventory of what resources you have and what resources are in your area and begin to utilize those things to get help. One of them is this. So find a meeting. Look at all these meetings. 530, 6:30, 7:8. Now, I know this is a big city, but in smaller towns all over this country, you can find this list. And now, because of COVID-19, a lot of these lists are are Zoom meetings like here. 10 a.m. Group 1 online, online meeting. So if you have an internet connection, if you have phone, you have a way where you can get into one of these groups and begin to share your story. And these people understand they are looking for people that are first timers. They want to help strengthen you. They want to encourage you. They want to see what they can do to help you. Now, I'm not saying every group is like this, this perfect little church of saints. Uh, doesn't work that way, unfortunately. But again, that's where we begin to take ownership of our own recovery and we begin taking the steps. Now that we've taken the first step, now that we recognize that we're out of control, our life is out of control, we don't want to live this way anymore. We don't look at the chain of restitution you have to make. Don't look at the hole that you've dug. Look at the first step. Reach out. Contact one of these groups. Okay, And then the second step in that for the gentleman that was drinking is you need to get a sponsor. What does that mean? So 
NAA, NASA, Methamphetamines Anonymous, there are people that have completed the steps. They have gone through all the process of what it means, which you'll learn when you start going to these meetings, what it means to complete the steps. And there are people that through having uh, a spiritual awakening, if you want to call it, or a level of, of recovery where their life uh, has overcome obstacles and, and they're successful and they're moving forward and they know what works and what doesn't work and they have their own sponsor and they're seeking help for their own stuff that, that you go out there and you say, hey, I need a sponsor. You know, if you're a woman, you should probably get a woman. You know, I saw a question earlier today about uh, should I get in a relationship uh, early in recovery? And that would be uh, no. <laughs> no, because you have to first learn how to deal with your own life. One, huh? No, they, they said get in a relationship. That was my wife, Amelia. She asked, what if you're married? Uh, hopefully, if you're married, you won't be looking for a relationship in an AA meeting. That's yeah, that's true. Unless it's your wife. And then you should both get separate sponsors and uh, not try to make your sponsor become your marriage counselor. But, uh, you know, they recommend a male sponsor. And how you get that is you just go in, you go to this meeting, or you get online to that meeting and you say, look, this is my first day. I want to quit. I don't know what to do. I'm lost. Can someone please help me? I need a sponsor. And people will help you. You can call the 800 numbers that are out there for NAAA. People will help you. That is your most cost-efficient first step that you can take because you're going to need support. And then once you get that step, you need to start asking yourself other questions like, do you need a medical detox? Have you been drinking so much that if you try to quit cold turkey that you're going to die? Are you on psychotropic medication? It would be a good time to, to try to go talk to a doctor or somebody, get a physical, see where you're at and what you need to do to get off uh whatever substance is controlling your life. For me, I could not quit heroin cold turkey. It did not work for me. I did what's called a medically assisted treatment, uh, but I did it in a way that a lot of people don't do it the way I did it. And then I went to a long-term treatment and by the grace of God, he delivered my life uh, in that area. And so with these people that you're bringing into your life, you need to begin to ask those questions. How do I get stable? Do I need to go to a detox? That's question two. Step one, you've admitted, you've, you've found a meeting, you're getting that sponsor. Doesn't matter if you're still relapsing. Doesn't matter if you don't know what you're doing right now. Just move forward and begin to get people in your life that are going to be able to help direct you and help you find resources. And then if you need a medical detox, we're going to talk about the heroin here in just a second. Uh, you need to start looking at resources uh, in your areas. And so there's two questions you need to ask yourself. What resources do you have? What are your financial resources? Do you have medical insurance? Do you have state medical insurance? Do you still have family in your life that you can contact even if you've hurt them and say, look, I, I want to go to rehab. I need to go to detox. I understand I have a problem. Might not be a good idea. Only you can determine the harm that you've done to other people, uh, whether or not they're going to step in and help. But you need to take a tally of, of what resources you have. And then if you need to go to a detox, uh, you either go to some form of detox or medically assisted treatment or, or some outpatient kind of treatment or therapy, you and your sponsor together are going to determine based on your 
your drug and alcohol use and what's going on in your health and your life, what the next best steps are. But after you begin to form that network, you need to find people in your life that are going to be able to help you uh, stabilize your life, which means get detoxed, get those drugs that are controlling you out of your system or get into a medically assisted treatment program where you can be monitored uh, and stabilized so you can receive that treatment, so you can go to those groups. And you know, and I've seen a lot of people in these AANA opiate, like they, they fight about that. Like, oh, these people aren't in recovery uh, because they're using medically assisted treatment. Don't listen to that. You do your recovery, let them do their recovery. You know what an unstable life looks like when you're doing heroin, when you're doing dope. You gotta figure out with the health, uh, help of professionals what is going to stabilize your life? Do you have other uh, untreated or underlying uh, psychological conditions that may be what is the result or, or what is causing or you know fueling uh, your addiction that's untreated that you need help for? Do you have the resources to get a therapist, get a counselor? There are a lot of community health centers almost as well in every community where you can look at community health center, community detox, and you can begin to start making those phone calls and asking these questions. Asking them on Facebook is great. It's a beginning. It's a step, but it's really not that serious of a step. It may get you some resources, but realistically, you need to be looking in your community about what can help you stabilize your life after you begin that step of recognizing your life has become unmanageable. You've reached out to one of these groups, I would say preferably a 12-step group, and got some people that are successful in their sobriety uh, to begin to help you. They're out there, guys, and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of people that have been living sober for decades that know what's going on in your mind that, and that, that can help you. Uh, along this path. And just because you find one person or one meeting, and let's say you go and you're not comfortable, look for another one. Don't stop, right? Like if you were that drowning person, like that first step said, and you're reaching out for that life preserver because you're going under, you're not just going to do it once and say, oh, I can't get it. I'm just going to drown down. No, you're going to be desperate. You're going to grab, you're going to grab, you're going to struggle until you actually do die. And you need to come in with that mentality of desperation that you're going to formulate this plan that's going to stabilize, stabilize your life and then get you a support network of successful people around you that can help guide you through this process. And so like the gentleman that says, well, how do I handle these crises? Let me tell you something. When you decide to get sober, you're going to have crises. Matter of fact, one, you're going to have to begin to face life with a, a mind, will, and emotion that's no longer numbed by your chemicals or that you can no longer utilize uh, for an excuse. And there's going to be people mad about it. There's going to be people that don't want to see you get sober. And you can't, you can't worry about those things at this time. This is about your life, your sobriety, and your recovery. So you can worry about those things you destroyed later in the process, in the 12-step process when you, when you make amends. And right now, we're only in the first step. You recognize that you have this problem, and this is what you're doing. And so again, that is why I, I'm, I'm telling you it's important to utilize this support network quickly and get your life stabilized quickly. Most big cities have methadone clinics. 
uh, or, or some type of uh, medically assisted treatment clinic that will help you if it's opiates and that's what you need to get on. Uh, you may have to travel in order to do that uh, and that may require some sacrifice on your part. Uh, only you can determine in your mind if you have the strength and the will uh, to be able to manage whatever it is that's going on, whether uh, you know you can do it in an outpatient format or going to meetings every day. And you're going to base that on this list you're going to make are what are my resources personally, which are my financial resources, my insurance, people in my life that are willing to help me. And, and you know, a lot of people don't realize even their jobs a lot of times, if you're in a career job, have employee assistance programs. You can call HR, they're anonymous, uh, these programs, and just say, hey, do we have an employee assistance program? You can contact them and they can get you help. A lot of resources out there uh, to begin with. The problem is when you're getting into rehabs and detoxes, um, that's a little more challenging. And so if you can't get in one, you're going to have to figure out how you're going to do this, who's going to walk with you uh, with this in your life. And that's where uh, you know a higher power is going to come into play because I've seen a lot of amazing miracles that through the duration of these shows, I'm going to tell you guys that there is nothing impossible with God and that I have seen people that were facing 50 years in prison and got busted cooking methamphetamine with a lab in their house, have their life completely restored back to them and their charges dropped and not because they went out and became an informant, but a miracle happened. And the same thing happened in my own life and in many instances that uh, we'll talk about at another time. And so you just have to keep focused on one day at a time, what you have control over today, the commitment to not drink or use today, and developing this group of people around your life, finding these groups, finding these resources, and then figuring out what your next steps are. And then realizing that trouble's going to come, which is why you need these people. You need people that you can say, I'm having this issue, man. I'm struggling with sobriety. Because if you think you're just going to get sober and, and you're not going to struggle, you're deceived. You're going to struggle. And you're going to have to learn to overcome these obsessions, these desires, uh, the, the physical addiction, and it's possible. Go out there and, and look at some photos of people that, uh, uh, that are addicted and then they're after pictures. And the darkness and the hopelessness that's on them and the life uh, that's on them after they get some level of sanity and recovery back in their life. It's night and day every time you look at those pictures. But I wanted to add one thing, and, and I'm not trying to get all religious with people, but I want you to understand this. Like I said, my recovery may not work for you, but this is a fact that I've seen, and it's called the law of sowing and reaping. And I learned this, my, I went to a long-term Christian recovery program um, didn't really utilize the 12 steps. I believe in utilizing the 12 steps because they work and because they're the most common and most accessible out there. And they're broad enough that anybody can enter into this path of recovery on the 12 steps. And they're not anti-biblical. There's nothing in those steps that I can look at and go, oh, this is just this just is against the Bible. But in the law of sowing and reaping, and I learned this in, in my therapy, is that for a long time I'd been sowing seeds of destruction in my flesh, seeds of destruction in my life. I had been hurting people, you know, and, and that's what the scripture says. It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And that's one of the things as addicts that's amazing. It's part of our insanity is like, we'll go out and sow, you know, potatoes and then be mad. And we're like, we're like, how did I, why didn't I get grapes? You know what I mean? We, you plant a certain seed, you're going to get a certain crop. And when we're in the path of addiction, we all have all these seeds planted out there uh, that we may harvest for a while. I tell you, I lost my kids after I got off of opiates. And my life began to deteriorate again. I wasn't relapsing on opiates, but I was having a whole heck of a lot of other problems. And so I was reaping things that I had planted previously that had not been addressed. And so it doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. It means that once you get past that, because I got past it, I, I did what I needed to do to fight for my family and fight for my recovery and figure out what that looked like for me that now I'm in a place of harvesting where a lot of good things are happening in my life. I'm finishing my education. My family is together. I'm, I'm in a job where I'm making an income that I never thought would even be possible with me. Okay. And like I said, I wake up with that peace and that joy and that hope in my heart every single day, even with these trials coming upon me. So you can get to that place, but you have to get past all that sowing you've done, all that destruction you did. You're going to reap some of that back. Now, God can change it. Your higher power can change it. But it's not like you're going you're gonna to decide to get sober and everybody's going to dance a jig and tell you how great you are. That's our, that's part of our insanity as addicts as well. That we think everybody else should be as excited as we are that we're finally getting help because we're so selfish. We haven't seen the actual trail of wreckage that lies behind us uh, that really needs to be repaired. And, and, and we're so consumed with our own suffering, you know, that, that, you know, we're like reaching out to people going, don't you understand that I'm hurting? And they, they've gotten to a point they're numb. They don't care. You know, like, well, look what you've done. And so once you get past that, once you develop this support network around you, then those people can help you start dealing with the crises, whether they're crises of homelessness, crises of, of work, of health, of whatever. There are people out there, if you start getting plugged into these groups, uh, that can help you walk that road. And so the last thing I'm going to address before I go is medically assisted treatment, that there's a lot of controversy. I got banned from a therapist. You know, I'm, I'm finishing my, my degree in human services, uh, cognate and addiction therapy. Then I'm going into the certified addiction counselor program, be a licensed addiction counselor. So I still got some schooling to go. But so I'm in this group with other clinicians and therapists and, uh, you know, they they were talking about uh, uh, people utilizing medical cannabis. You know, that, that medical cannabis uh, in states where it was legal reduced overdose deaths by 25% across the board. It happened in every place. That's a statistic we need to pay attention to irrespective of what your idea is of cannabis. I know that people have issues uh, with cannabis as a drug. There are people that have a cannabis use disorder. Uh, I'm not promoting that. What I'm saying is, you know, she began to say, well, if someone's using cannabis, this, this person asked, you know, they had a list of like six psychotropic drugs they were on and they said, oh, I'm dealing with anxiety and, you know, will I die if I use cannabis? They started attacking this person who's already on this tremendous, tremendous amount of psychotropic drugs. And, uh, 
saying that they would not be classified as in recovery if they use marijuana. And I just thought that was absurd. And I was like, you know, do you tell people that are stabilized in a methadone program or under Suboxone or some other medically assisted treatment that they're not in recovery? Like their lives are stabilizing, they're getting treatment, they're holding down a job, they're starting to make restitution. You can't take that from them. Recovery is going to be what each individual person uh, allows and brings to have that peace and stability in their life where they're achieving spiritual progress, where their life is getting better, where they're getting healthier, where there's a serenity in their life and a peace about them doesn't matter how they get there, in my opinion. And so like me, there's people out there that need medically assisted treatment, um, but there is a danger to it. We had a family member die. Uh, they were taking methadone. They were taking it according to uh, this prescribed doses, but uh, the methadone clinic wasn't monitoring the blood levels uh, and went and took normal uh, went and took a normal dose, went home, laid down, and died. And same with Suboxone. When I first started taking Suboxone, uh, they wanted me to stay on Suboxone for two years. And I did the research and recognized that Suboxone and Methadone both uh, can be used to mitigate uh, withdrawal symptoms. They can also be used to mitigate people's um, instability of their opiate addiction, but you're going to have to go through withdrawals. The longer you stay on these things, you will eventually have uh, negative health effects with them. And things like methadone, you are potentially looking at death, even if you use it uh, appropriately. And so I see these people, they've been on methadone, they've been on Suboxone for years and years and years, and now they're trying to get off and they're like, this is worse than when I was on heroin. And it is. They're more powerful opiates, but at the same time, I believe for short-term use, uh, they can be pretty amazing tools uh, to get off because doing it cold turkey, you'll, you could end up in, you know, the intensive care unit like I did uh, because you totally had a mental breakdown while you were trying to detox yourself, which is not a good idea, cold turkey off opiates. And so what I did before I went to treatment is I took some of these steps and I found um, treatment. Hey, that's pretty loud. I took these steps and I went and found a treatment center that I was going to go to. And uh, like with the Suboxone, I, I, would, I took it half, 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 half uh, over a two-week period, decreasing my dose until the worst of the of the withdrawal symptoms had abated and then went cold turkey into a recovery program. So long as I took it for was for 15 days. Now I did that multiple times um, because I tried to do it on my own first uh, without having the, the treatment center, the long-term treatment center in place and it didn't work. What I just do is wean myself off and then a couple weeks later I'd end up starting the, the, the pattern with the opiates again. And so it needs to be done under a doctor's care, not copping it off the street, uh, not getting it from your friends, um, but really examining the risks and the dangers 
that medically assisted treatment uh, bring. And there are also a lot of other uh, controversial treatments like Ibogaine that are coming out that maybe we'll do a show on. Uh, but when it comes to sobriety and it comes to recovery and it comes to people having a spiritually progressing life and not suffering the ravages of, of addiction, I, I'm not going to turn away research that's helping people. And uh, the one thing that we've, we've had a habit of doing as human beings is saying, this is the only definition of recovery. This is the only definition of sobriety. I say you're not if you're not. And we got to stop all that garbage. So if you're on opiates, that's a third. You, you have to do all these things that everybody else that we, we just talked about. Whether it's methamphetamine, opiates, alcohol, find a 12-step recovery group. Find a sponsor. Take inventory of your personal, financial, and family people resources. And then take an inventory of your local resources. Create a plan and a strategy whether or not you're going to need medically assisted treatment so that you can stabilize your life and, and get off these drugs. And they're out there. I could, I could Google that in Denver as well, Methadone Clinic. I know even when I was in Kansas, I knew people that would, uh, there was a bus that would come take people 60 miles uh, to receive their, their dose of methadone. And so uh, there are ways to get help out there even if you're in a small city or a small town and uh, may not have all the resources of a place like Denver and so that was a big mouthful that was a long show and, and I hope I answered some of those questions and I promise you promise you promise you you who are asking these questions that if you begin this journey it is worth it uh, truly, I've seen so many people this week ask if it was even possible to achieve some sort of recovery or a quality of life after being so addicted to alcohol and drugs. And I am telling you that it is possible and that you can and that it takes work and it takes honesty and it takes this first step where you understand that your life is unmanageable and that... Um, you recognize that and you're ready to take that first step into those meetings to reach out for help and to find your resources so if you're one of those people asking those questions today or you know somebody that wants to get help from alcohol and drugs share this podcast with them let them know there's ways out there to get help uh, I'm sure there are people out there that are going to disagree with me and the things I've said but this is my experience in my recovery and uh uh, I'm living a level of victory in my life that I've never had. And so maybe it will work for you. But I do know that the 12 steps are a tried and true and proven uh, mechanism for people uh, getting recovery, getting sober, and getting uh, that spiritual progress and that spiritual recovery um, that helps them actually live a meaningful life and serve others and uh, be in a place psychologically, spiritually, mentally, uh, that's that's beautiful as we're created to be uh, in community loving each other uh, trying to grow uh, closer and closer to God or higher power and so uh, thanks for joining me tonight so I'm not sure what we're gonna do on the next couple shows like I said I'm gonna go through all the 12 steps but I, I'm not sure how I'm gonna format it yet uh, I want to get some guests on 
to talk about some of these things. And so I may take a week off before I do another show um, because I want to go through this information. I want to walk through these steps with you. But there are a lot of people out there that have some pretty amazing stories. And if you know someone that you think uh, uh, would be a good guest, feel free to email me or message me on Facebook. Uh, we're at The Healing Tree Live. Uh, at Facebook, Seraphim Amelia Schwab on Facebook. You can find us Twitter at Schwabstrong. Uh, you can email me at schwabstrong at gmail.com. Um, or if you get this recording as a Facebook Live, you can just click on it and uh, send us a message and try to connect us with some good guests because we want to get uh, uh, a lot more information out there uh, because right now our, our country is definitely in a pandemic and it's also in a major, major alcohol and drug abuse crisis that uh, resources are dwindling for. And uh, people really need to hear this message and really need to understand uh, that there's hope and that they don't have to live that way anymore and um, what those first steps look like. So thank you for listening to my babble. And uh, we'll see you again next time.